Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com man that sunset is gorgeous grill patio sunset hard to get better than that unless you're browsing carvana's inventory while you soak it all in oh burger time so sit back get comfortable carvana's got thousands of cars under twenty thousand dollars just waiting for you i could stay here forever carvana where car buying meets comfort meets convenience Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, trying her mostess, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. I am in a hotel room yet again with another guest yet again. Please welcome Devin Brooks. <laughs> Hi. Hi. I like looking at you out of this view. Oh my gosh, guys. I'm in this. If you followed this journey on my Instagram, I got upgraded into this ocean view room, which is like the hugest thing I've ever had. I, I'm not even kidding. Like when it comes to like appreciation of life and stuff, I'm so glad that I'm so simple because this made me stupidly happy. And I last night by myself skipped through the entire place all the way through like three times. And I'm like, I'm a child inside, but there's part of me that was like, I am such in a season of having after having a season of being a have not. And I'm like, I'm so happy to have gratitude mm. for like the grandeur of how cool this is. Mm -hmm. So I was just, I'm, I am so, so in love with this view. And I'm so glad that I'm so in love with it. It's, it's absolutely remarkable here in Vancouver. It is. It's a good backdrop for this convo because it's all about the big, opportunities and mindset and choices. And we're looking out at the big blue ocean. Okay. So. You just went deep so fast <laughs> and there's ships coming in and out. We can go on. We also have Devin's little girl Clooney in the room. You might hear her in the background, but she is currently being like a literal angel. Playing I just- with new Play-Doh that we just bought from the gallery. She walked in and I was like, I'm going to need her to have an Instagram account because I need to follow her. Why is she? She walked in with like a blazer and Doc Martens. Yeah, she's wearing a full suit. Do you dress her or does she dress herself? She, I would love to have influence over what Clooney wears. Really? And I certainly do not. So she styles herself. She puts a lot of intent into her outfits. As soon as she decided that she was coming along for mm -hmm, Rise, she mm -hmm. pulled out 
a tutu and a suit, laid it on the bed and was like, mm, it's special. And I said, yeah, I guess it's kind of special. It's like a girl party. Mom's going to be talking. Yeah. And she was like, ah, okay. The suit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love her. So yes. where did you get the name Clooney before we dive into everything else? Clooney. She's like, this is a really good question. She's, she's like, like, where did that. my name come from? So I was one of those creepy girlfriends that had a list of baby names. That okay. started when okay. I was, you know, eight or nine years old. And every time I would get a doll and really like the doll's name, it would continue on with me. <laughs> <laughs> I love the smell of Play-Doh. She's letting me sniff it. Orange oh, Play-Doh. thank mm. you. And I really felt as though I was going to end up picking my children's names from this long list of, I think what turned out to be about 80 or 90 baby names. Here she goes again. Okay, sniff please, all the siéntate, colors. Siéntate. And, oh, and I... She's such an angel. You can't say no to her. If she wants a <laughs> pony, I would give it to her. And so I had names on there like... Not great names. Go ahead, sweetie, use a towel. And here I was sort of at the end of my pregnancy with Clue, really similar to my older kid who's five, Rosen. Mm -hmm. And none of those names came from my long list of baby names. I both times was in the end of my pregnancy, listening to my belly, listening to my baby's kick, talking to my babies, thinking and feeling into my babies. And I kind of came to the names in the shower and just started petting them on the shower wall. And really, then there we were. That's really cool. I love that. I think we name our children from the time that we ever conceive the thought of having a child. And that's one of the things like, and it's a super off topic, but I remember my sister went through a miscarriage and she's got six kids. So a miscarriage really, I don't think that people noted it as much as it needed to be. But she talked about the fact that when the moment you even discover your mother, you think you might be how you've already named that child and you start to like explore these different things. And there's all these kind of moments. And I was like, oh, it's so beautiful because there's like this, it's like the one true gift that you give your child. It's like the first thing you do for them is like giving them a name. And it's so intimidating. Totally. It's so intimidating. And you can get it so wrong. <laughs> oh, <laughs> because we've all met those kids where you're yeah. like, whoa, you're you're not a blah, That's blah, blah. a name. My oldest daughter's name is Maya Summer. I had really was exploring the name Summer and I mentioned it to somebody and, and they said, oh, I really don't love names that are words. And because I was so absorbing of everyone's opinions at the time, I was like, I can't name her Summer now. And I loved the name Summer because I liked the OC. I ended up naming her Maya Summer, which I guess in turn now putting it into the now, it's like Maya papaya. She's the papaya of the bird's papaya. But I always regretted not calling her Summer. Like I look at her now and I'm like, do you ever want to change your name? Like we can change it to Summer. And that she's is, like, no. It's so interesting you say that because if I do get asked the question from moms to be about names or what advice do I have? Yeah. My advice for pregnant women is always don't tell other people yeah. the name you think you want to yeah. name this kid. Do not ask for insight or opinions. Don't yeah. shop it out to friends. It's Keep so true. It within you. Like wait till you meet that kid and look them in the mm -hmm, face and mm -hmm. then say it out loud. See yeah. how you and your partner feel and then tell people. Like the first person to know should be you, your partner, and that kid. True. And if they have a weird name, it doesn't matter how weird it is. Eventually it just becomes their name. Their name. Like you end up owning it over time anyways. So it is what it is, right? So anyways, I was super off topic, but that's fine. <laughs> Although what I will say to wrap that up is... We spell her name C-L-O-O-N-E-Y. And the inspo was actually Clooney, C-L-U-N-E-Y, which is a really old school Irish last name, a historic Irish last name. But 
I thought, oh gosh, if we spell it like the way George yeah. Clooney spells his name, everyone will say it right. And then her middle name is Bloom. And I like the <gasps> double L-O-O. Oh. So it's like Lulu, Clooney Bloom. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's actually so beautiful. I, I literally was like, do you just have a crush on George Clooney? Because that's such a valid <laughs> answer. It would I, be okay. My son's middle name is Zachary because I literally had a crush on Zac Efron and I just like couldn't get the name <laughs> out of my head. And I was like, well, that's his name. Anyways. <laughs> So Devin, I've met you in the spring. We both spoke at the same thing and we both were at the Atelier thing and you were from out West and we had kind of like literally connected over like a few minutes over lunch. And I just remembered walking away, feeling and knowing your presence. And it was funny because I, I saw you again last night and we've connected a few times since then, but I saw you last night or I knew you were coming in. The first thing I said to you was a bunch of us just had a conversation about you behind your back. And it all was the same thing that you're such a stunning human. And like, I mean that exterior and I mean that interior because you have this presence to you that, and we were all like, it's so hard because you're so stunning. Like superficially you are stunning, but then like, you're so incredibly kind and gentle and you bring such a warmth to everything that you do. It's incredible to kind of be getting to know you and have you be somebody that is now turned into an inspiration for me. But I really would love for everyone else to kind of get to know you in a way. I want you to kind of tell your origin story so we can kind of dive into a conversation that I know is going to be so incredible. So take it from here. You're such a pro. Oh You're my like goodness. a- So Sarah, I was feeling last night. So Clooney was getting a little bit under the weather and I gave her a hug goodbye. She specifically asked to come to the conference and oh, be with me yes, all day yeah. and be with me yesterday because I've been traveling a lot for Good work. Good for you so for bringing her. I was like, we're just going to crank it out and we'll make this work. Come on, sister. Yeah. Let's do this. So we went downtown. She did stay with my mom last night during dinner because we had the speakers dinner yep. last night. And I was having one of those moments because I could see she was not feeling really well. And I was walking to the sea bus, getting on the sea bus and kind of having that thing of like, gosh, you know, I really want to support and I want to be there for this speaker's dinner, but everything in my body and soul just wants to run back to my kid. Yeah. Nothing dramatic was happening. No. I just was feeling that like that pull, that yeah. pull that's so yeah. deep and innate. I was this close to turning around and just walking back on the sea bus and going home and be like, I'll just show up tomorrow. And I went and I rolled in and you and Ashley and Miriam were there. Yeah. And I left last night and I just felt like I really had my soul filled. And, Good. and even like the girl conversation, the surface fun conversation. Yes. And also just connecting with meaningfully with really present, powerful, cool, women who are just sort of unabashedly themselves. Yes. And that was really, really gratifying. So thank you for saying those very nice things about I, me. You know what? I felt the same way last night. It, it's one of those things that I always kind of have these like, I don't want to go. Like I always, pretty much at every social event ever, that's my last <laughs> thought when I'm leaving the door. And that's like, even if my, usually if my kids were like upset or sick, I'd be like, okay, now I really want to leave. Like I'm the kind that was like, I'm the least of our family to be able to like cope with somebody being sick, even though I'll like be there and catch their puke. I'm the least capable of like handling that. So often that's like a good push for me out the door. <laughs> However, I always find that like that last minute anxiety of like not wanting to go to something is usually my last thought walking out, and which is so I've learned is so lovely because as I go on, it always surprises me. I'm rarely 
met with the expectation that I had going into it, I'm usually blown away and I'm usually made to be wrong. And I love that. I love that you go into a dinner and you just like, you hug with people and you laugh. And then all of a sudden it's like hours have flown by and you're like, remember when I was like, not even wanting to like walk <laughs> oh, when, out the remember door. Remember I was not about this at all. <laughs> yeah, but I do it all. I do it all the time. Like I literally am just, I am like that. Even if it's something that I'm like pretty excited for, I still have those last minute like, now I got to get ready and I got to do the things. But uh, yeah, last night was actually such a cool connecting time. This whole weekend is going to be really cool. Me, the amnivert that I've learned that I am, have learned to recharge myself. So I'm kind of weaving myself in and out of the conference today. And I am like full on tomorrow speaking, which is why I'm conserving my energy for it. So respect. Well, we learn those things as we roll along. And I mean, the experience that I've had in my adulthood, I sort of jumped into entrepreneurialism at 21 years old when I started with two co-founders. Blow Blow Dry Bar, which in 2007 was the very first blow dry bar in the world and went on to spark the fastest growing category in beauty over the next decade. Yeah, I really need one to come to my hometown. Like I keep (laughs) repeating this, but I if somebody listening could open one in Guelph, I would love you forever. Blow dry bars like franchise. I know. I'm literally hijacking your story right now and I don't even care because (laughs) blow dry bars are one of the best things ever invented. And not only for you know, the general public who just doesn't like to wash their hair like me. But in terms of like people as they get older or with those who are disabled, like I can't believe how important things like that are. I remember when my dad had a broken arm and had to have surgery and stuff. And like my mom had to wash his hair. And I always thought like, what would happen if he didn't have that? Like, would he constantly be going to a barbershop? Like what would happen? It's one of my favorite things to do when I travel. It's like my first stop. I love to do a blow dry bar because then it sets me up for success the whole time. I'm so obsessed with them. So the fact that you and two two other women, my mom, Judy, and who became our best friend, Val Litwin, who's a dude and straight, which was very surprising. Wow. a lot of our clients in there. What a cool days. combo. So you're like 2021. 20, mm-hmm. And where did that idea even spark from? You know, my mom and I workshopped a bunch of business ideas. Uh, we so you we were looking to, for a business. Yeah, we wanted to okay. do something together. Cool. And it didn't start in beauty, not at all. We would kind of, every time we'd have a casual drink together, really from the time I was 16 through till college, university, we would uh, have a drink or go for a cocktail and throw around business ideas, write them down on napkins. And most of them were throwaways or the opportunity was cool, but the margins didn't make sense. And we were on the phone one day. I was living in London, England at the London College of Fashion and University. And my mom and I were just chatting on the phone and she had been to an event. I think it was WXN, 100 Most Powerful Women in Canada. And she said, gosh, you know, everybody had their nails done, but the 100 Most Powerful Women in Canada looked like shit. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, what? Uh, 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 What do you mean? Because nobody's got time. Yeah, because nobody had time to go to the salon to get blow dries or do their own hair at home. So they all had like great manicures and clearly put, you know, some thoughtfulness into how they were presenting themselves in the world. But everybody had like gym ponytails Mm. and she, or, you know, a full rat's nest and need combing and a little hairspray. And she just thought it was so funny. And we just very quickly stirred the conversation into, well, what would that look like? What, how could we make that more accessible? What about, you know, a sort of bar-like concept the same way we have for nails, which was emergent at the time for hair. And could we make this 
this, you know, a fast, affordable catwalk quality experience. And very quickly, I said, you know what? Let's wrap this combo. I'm going to take this back to class. I wrote the business plan in two weeks, submitted it, got my first A in my life. Wow. (laughs) I was not a a particularly good student. And this is the first A that I can recall. And six months later, we opened our very first location and the rest was history. Where was your first location? In Yelltown, Vancouver. Oh, nice. And so was it an instant success? What did those like first curves really look like? That's a good question because there were so many positive signals in the early days. There was also tons of misunderstanding and education required. So what I mean is that the positive signals were we would talk to women about it and women would go, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I've been thinking of. Oh my God, I had that idea before (laughs) you. And I love hearing that Yeah, because it's such a signal of, oh, this is a need. This is a need, yeah. People have been thinking this, feeling this, wanting to do it. And at the end of the day, we all think we have these super original ideas. We usually don't. It's just a matter of, are you the person and can you execute? And, And so here we were, We opened our first location, double page spread in Hello Magazine. We were really good at telling our own story. Good. We had hundreds of franchise requests just within the first few months. And within the first couple of months in our very first location started being cash flow positive. Oh, amazing. Because usually like I've heard before that normally new businesses, it's about three years before it, it's 100%. actually turning Until into you get a to profitable pro- like full profitability yeah. and there's all these different markers right there's cash flow positivity like break even profitability yeah. sometimes you get to break even um or cash flow positive and then you make the decision not to be profitable because you're choosing growth over profitability true, true, true. so all of those things can happen but those were the positive things the negative signals were when we would go talk to men or, you know, possible financers, they would say, well, why would my wife ever pay for something she can do at home? <laughs> Have anybody ever taken takeout? Have they never heard of it in their yes, lives? Totally. And I was we like, will delegate everything <laughs> if we can delegate. I had this woman on the podcast a few weeks ago, Julie Cole from Mabel's Labels. Cool. And she was like, a women's economy is built on everybody just doing the things that they know how to do best. She's like, so, so-and-so cleans the house. So-and-so makes the birthday cakes. So-and-so, you know, she's like, I make the labels and another person helps my kid with this. Like if we want to support women in this economy, that's what we need to do is we need to delegate those things. We all need to do what it is that we're good at. And when she said those words, it was like weight lifted way off of me because no matter how like, okay, I was with like people having cleaners and stuff like that. I still felt guilt about the fact that I was like hiring out for stuff that Mm. I could do myself in quotations, right? (laughs) That's okay, baby. You just go wipe your hands with a towel and then you can keep playing or bring the towel to wipe the desk. You can't reach the towel? Yeah, you can. You go try. Go reach on the counter. There's someone that there's someone underneath too. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, like I I love that you said that, that that would be like the impression because like, yeah, why, why would women source something out that they could do themselves? But I think that's kind of the power of it. How little men know women. That's what I I used to laugh And and realistically, men (laughs) will do those things. Like they pay so much less for hair. And a lot of times like my dad's still like the guy who like will go and like shave his own head and do all of these things. Thinking about those negative signals we got, that was one of them. Mm -hmm. And the other thing was, well, this is not a thing yet. 
So a lot of education was required. And there was no social media in the same way at that time, right? We literally were just had the first bloggers in Canada emerging. Okay. You want to talk on the microphone too? Okay, at the end. you can. At the end, end. we would love for you to. You go sit and then we'll come get you and you can talk on the mic at the end. She's so, so yeah, I mean, there's always positive things and there's always negative signals. You you need to you need to notice that there are more positive signals than yeah. negative signals and understand whether there's any validity to negative signals or is it just a narrative? Is it education that's required? Is it because you're launching something, you know, before the tipping point has occurred, which yes. are all okay things that happens when you're first to market. The origin story or the beginning of my experience with entrepreneurship is really, really cemented in founding Blow Blow Dry Bar and where we went from there. And definitely, you know, like I said, you want to make sure that the positive signals are outweighing the negative signals. Mm -hmm. And each new business, each new idea is going to have new challenges. So just because you've had a successful business before, just because you've had a successful social media feed before or blog before, it means that there are some principles you know to apply that are unique to Mm -hmm. having had that experience. But every new rodeo is presenting its own learnings and and new requirements. I read something recently, and I I already talked about this in another podcast, but this, I was reading the 101 essays that'll change the way you think by Brianne West. But the one thing that she talked about it in one of the essays was the fact that we apply a lot of what we think is going to make us happy and stuff based on past experience. And I feel like the same thing kind of happens. Like, yes, we take away things. Like if you think about relationships or jobs or anything, we always have stuff that we've learned and stuff that we carry with us, but we still don't know the future. We don't know how things are going to work out. So even if you have had a successful business in the past, that must be still coming with that knowledge of, I, I guess some people must be like, well, it worked before I'll do it again. But the reality is you might have things that worked before that might not work again, or you might have something that didn't work before. And that doesn't mean that it's the end of the story and that the next one won't work either because blow wrap up whatever happened with that. So before I ask the next question, 140 locations around the world, unreal. Uh, We bootstrapped our growth in the early days. You know, there really wasn't VC funding available Mm -hmm. for businesses like us and entrepreneurs like us at that time. There were no venture capital funds that were focusing on women or beauty or brick and mortar. (laughs) A lot has changed in the last decade. And, you know, really the next sort of five years were about franchise growth, supporting the growth of that culture and the evolution of the locations themselves. We ended up joining forces with a merger partner from the East Coast of Canada and eventually exited fully, i.e. we sold our shares to our major partner. So now I just get my hair done. (laughs) So you no longer are involved whatsoever with it. I am now just like you. I'm a hair cadet. How? I go in and I get blow dry. (laughs) How does it feel having let go of like your first baby? You know, every founder feels different. I get excited about business because I think that Business is the way to affect change on the ground floor. It's the most impactful way to do something systemic. It's the most powerful way 
to enforce change and to do it quickly. Of course, there's politics. Mm-hmm. That actually takes a long time and much more money. Yes. And and so when I think about what I want to see in the world, I think about how I can use business to achieve that. Yes. And when the end of a journey needs to happen, the end of a journey needs to happen. And I always understand that I'm taking those learnings. I'm taking all of those as assets into whatever it is that I do next. And what made you decide? Because now I've seen you, your face has popped up quite a few times in different speaking things all over. What kind of spurred you to kind of want to go into that space of either speaking? You're obviously very natural at it, but was that something that you saw for yourself or was it literally just this heart and hope for women to understand business? Or do you speak to men as well? Like I just would love to hear your speaking experience and journey Mm. with that. I actually had a friend, an investor in Sphere, my new company, asked me the other day about her speaking career and she really wants to get into sharing her story. She's had a, a very colored career, a very cool career. And for me, it was organic in that I started to get asked, particularly to sort of wax poetic on brand and culture, because that's really what we were known for in the early days okay. of Glow. And that started to morph very quickly into the business of business and deep dives on entrepreneurship and really uncovering a bunch of things and topics that people didn't really feel that they had exposure or access to. Mm-hmm. A big part of that for me was also really honoring that a huge part of my entrepreneurial and leadership journey was grounded in some really difficult stuff. So when we opened our very first locations of Blow, Blow Dry Bar, I was 20, 21, 22 years old. Over the course of that time, I was going through two simultaneous judicial cases, one from when I was 18, when I was raped, and another from when I was 21, just about three months after opening the first location of Blow, Blow Dry Bar. And I was attacked at knife point in my own home. Oh my gosh. I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. So it was really me. Sweet babe. She's like, wow. Those were big words and big ideas. And they are. That changes you. If you let it. If If you you let let it. Okay. And for me, that was where the lessons were. It was in me deciding how those experiences were going to impact my life rather than let the experiences decide how they were going to impact my life. So it was taking and seizing control over what it meant to have been twice victimized by violent or sexual violence. And then how that doubled down into um, my approach to leadership and Mm -hmm. to listening Mm -hmm. and to the idea that really leadership is just about being of service and nothing more. Okay, we're just going to take a quick pause from the show to talk about today's sponsor, which is Vistaprint. Vistaprint is actually so funny that I'm even talking about it now because I've been using Vistaprint for way over 10 years, pretty much ever since my family was very young. Um, I remember choosing holiday cards every year, grabbing our latest family photo, uploading it and plunking it right into this beautiful holiday card. They always had so many designs. It made it so easy and affordable. I loved that we could do it. We used to send out like 150 holiday cards every single year. So it made it so affordable for us as a 
young family to do something so personal with such a nice personal touch. This is what I love about making a holiday card at Vistaprint. You can go on, you can choose a shape like a square or rounded corners, folded or flat, and then you go through their designs. And most of them have the option to add in your own personal photo, but they have everything from fun to festive, gorgeous, eye-catching. And you just have to plunk in that photo or design of your choice. You can upload it directly from your phone even, and then just figure out how many you want to order and you know, check out, make sure that you've got some time to spare to write all those little personal cards as well. If that hasn't convinced you, all custom cards and calendars are now up to 50% off. You can also upload your favorite photos right from your phone and save them on mugs, canvases, photo gifts. There's so many cool gift options that are really, really personal, even calendars and stuff too. And just to make it really easy for you, your satisfaction is 100% guaranteed at Vistaprint. Meaning if you don't love it, they're either going to reprint it for you or they're going to issue you a refund. So there's really no risk here, which is really lovely. Your money is going to be honored in this transaction. So this season, make it more merry with vistaprint.com with up to 50% off all holiday cards and photo calendars, plus great deals on photo gifts at vistaprint.com. Just enter promo code PAPAYA50. That's vistaprint.com promo code PAPAYA50. Offer expires January 5th. Now let's get back to the show. Hey guys, I'm Kinsey from the I Love You So Much podcast. On my show, we talk about everything, lifestyle, business, finance, beauty, you name it. My favorite part about the show is the amazing guests that we bring on. We have everyone ranging from like business experts to influencers, CEOs, creative masterminds. It's so much fun. If you guys want to find me on Instagram and it's just at Kinsey Elizabeth, I release new episodes every Thursday. So hope to see you there. Now I've currently still am journeying through post-traumatic. So I find it so interesting because I've, I'm, yeah, there's part of me, I, I had this, another conversation on a podcast where a woman whose husband had died and she talked about the fact that it was really hard for her when it came to the moment of realizing that she was in a way grateful for what it had taught her. And I've had this same thing. It's like almost like this, it's not a guilt burden, but it's like that knowledge of if it were not for those things and if it were not for that trauma, I would not carry the lessons and carry the who I am now today without that. So when you talk about choice and talk about how you channeled those things happening, did you come through a dark season and came out the other side or were you, were you in it then and you very much saw things for it? Like, I'm just so curious about that because I've never heard somebody say, about trauma, like if you let it, it seems so foreign in a world where we see wounds and we see damage and then we see healing after. Right. How did you channel it at that time? Was it truly that you, you could see it then mm-hmm. and that you were making that choice then, or was it a choice that you kind of made in time? I love that my daughter was giggling throughout that. There is a an elected lightness to this stuff. When I was in LA a couple of weeks ago, I was staying with family friends who are in the film business. And we were mm-hmm. talking about how really so few films are successful in getting into drama and trauma whilst simultaneously owning the hilarity of life. Were you talking about the Joker? <laughs> 
<laughs> no, we weren't. Oh my we gosh. Were talking about a like a bunch of niche films that, mm. you know, haven't really got the love yeah. that they should get, but that there are so few films. And The Joker is an interesting reference that tell the stories of real people and are able to include the lightness along the way and what's funny and that you can be in the depths and the trenches and in the darkness of the hardest times in your life and there will still be funny moments Mm -hmm. and there will still be moments of joy and all of those exist actually in harmony. Yeah. So for me at the time during the judicial processes themselves started to experience PTSD. Mm-hmm. The average age of onset of PTSD is 23 for women. Okay. And that is generally because of the ages and experiences of women. So most women experience sexual violence or violence in their youth and in their adolescence and in early adulthood. So college yes. university. And so the average age is around then. That was true for me. I started having blackout panic attacks. I would be yeah. traveling for work yeah. in New York or Toronto and end up in a hospital. Yep. And so I tried all the things. I tried therapy. I tried meditation and yoga, which I ended up really adopting. I tried medication, um, which was necessary for yeah. some time, for some period yeah. of time. And then really important to me to be able to look at the resources available that didn't require me to be medicated for life. Yeah. And in that process, I met my husband And after having a number of panic attacks in a row over a couple of years, while still speaking and Mm -hmm. and still leaning into these conversations, I had my last panic attack when I was 25. And I looked up at my husband with just total frustration and anger. Like, Mm -hmm. why is this? I'm a successful business person. I am really, really worked through these experiences and I'm able to lay them all out there and to take ownership of, you know, what it has meant for me. And yet still on the other side, this is happening. And he just looked me, deadpan me in the eyes. And he said, if you're done having panic attacks, you can just stop. Whoa. And was it that simple? (laughs) It was that simple. It was that simple. It was totally angering to have somebody suggest that it was as simple as me making the decision to have a different experience. Mm. And he was 100% right. And so I did. And I haven't had a panic attack since. And it doesn't mean that I haven't had early signs Mm. of something coming on. But what it has meant is I see it, I acknowledge it, I figure out what to do about it, and I make the choice to have a different experience. I love that because there's, you know, obviously I work a lot in like the body confidence space and just like body neutrality. And and that's been a huge key component is this choice and the fact that we really do have it. And I so relate to you when you said angering, because it is an angering thing because you're like, I've had my whole life and I've had all of these experiences. How come I'm just now understanding that I had this power inside of me? It's, it's- You, you uh, got it, Sarah. That is the crux of the human experience. It is that we are so deeply uncomfortable and overwhelmed by and can't accept in many cases the power that we have over the experience we are having yes. in this in this form, in this body, in this life. It is so alarming and so angering and debilitating for individuals to just even fathom how powerful we are 
that we accuse others, we blame, and and we choose not to. Mm. And that is so life-altering when you start to really embrace what it means to, to make choices and to take ownership mm-hmm. of the experience that you're having as a human being. So since then, you've obviously, that was eight years ago since your last panic attack, and since you really started to step into what it means to understand that you have choice in this human experience that we call life. How has it been for you now, eight years down? Have there been moments and times where you've really like understood the power of that and just like seeing that and experiencing it and how this has kind of turned into like your new baby, your new career, your new entrepreneurial thing. But I'm just so fascinated by it because I don't think enough of us, even right down to the wording, recently it was brought to my attention that, you know, we don't empower each other. We allow ourselves to teach each other that we've always had the power. I'm not empowering you. I couldn't empower you if I tried, but I might remind you that you always have had it. And choosing those words, and it's funny because we we say it all the time. It's so normal. I say empower all the time. But now I'm starting to like really reflect in times that I say it, being like, I'm not empowering people. I'm literally just telling people that they have something inside of them that they've had always. They've always had it. We've just so buried it deep. We've put it in boxes. We put ourselves in boxes. We've allowed doors to be closed. We've allowed roadblocks on the roads of life. We've allowed fear to step in front of us over and over and over again. Yet there is always this choice inside of us. And we always do have this ability. And sometimes they're not as simple as a choice. Like, obviously I'm not talking about things when we come to like disability and things like that. Like, no, there are things that we have, don't have choice. No, we're for. strictly talking about mindset and mindset experience. and experience. Yeah. hundred percent. But yeah, that power to empower thing. I, I'm so curious to hear how that really changed you in career. And as a person through the last eight years, since you've had that last panic attack and have really leaned into your own personal power and choice. Mm. Well, soon after we started the process of exiting blow, blow, dry bar. Mm -hmm. And within a couple of years, I was full-time leadership and life coaching and really organically sort of by popular demand coaching across Canada, the US and Mexico, you know, entrepreneurs, small business owners, makers, professionals climbing corporate ladders who were digging into their purpose, who were considering their performance and how they could influence their performance, what what needed to be moved out of the way, what narratives were no longer serving them and how could they form new habits and really change the experience it was they were having so they could reach quote unquote goals. Mm -hmm. And so much of having the experience we want to have actually just comes down to systems and processes. And we're used to thinking about systems and processes. Sounds boring. Yeah. Only in respect to business. like an Excel sheet that I don't want to open. (laughs) And, you know, in our personal lives, it is still systems and processes. It's still this idea of forming habits because when you have a process and you have a rhythm and you do the same thing over and over and over again, you don't have to spend 100% of your time thinking about the goal. In fact, you don't. You spend 99% of your time thinking about and showing up to the habits that will ultimately yield that end goal or that end result. And the 1% of the time, you know, revisiting the goal. And that's what people get wrong. They get so much focused on living 99% of their lives talking about and thinking about and, you know, saying out loud, what is it, what it is that they want to experience, what they want to have, what they want to achieve, purchase, whatever, all of the work 
is in the process. It's all in the accountability and you should be spending 99% of your time thinking about the process and showing up to do the work and 1% of your time uh, revisiting and refining the goal itself. And so that really rang true for me over the next sort of, gosh, five to eight years. And what that meant is really supporting people all over North America and Mexico as a coach And sort of six years into my professional practice, I started to see all of the same pain points in the coaching space as I did in beauty and blow dries. Yep. That's so fascinating. You're not the first person to say something like this. I talked to Paul Fishman and he was on my podcast about, he was like a spin instructor and he started like doing like fitness coaching for people and and life coaching. And he found that like everyone had the same thing. Like I just wanted to exercise and lose weight because I wanted so-and-so to like me. I wanted to do this because I want to have this job. I want to do that. And then their body ended up not being like the thing that ended up landing them those things. They could lose the weight, they could exercise every day and those people might still not like them. They might still not get those jobs. And so he said, that's when he realized that like, again, kind of what you're saying is not so much like it's the goal oriented stuff that we're going after. And instead it's like the experience of in between, right? Like what if we were doing things not for the sake of like an expectation on the other side and just like truly journeying through it. Right. And I think that applies over and over and over to so many different things because we are destination addiction people. Like that's all we think about is success. And what does that look like? And what does it feel like to be unsuccessful, whether it's like a relationship or a career or, you know, starting that new business or yeah, like, I don't know, even motherhood, like all of these things that we feel are going to essentially fill that for us as these goal points that we're going to somehow manifest happiness into instead of like really working through the process of all the stuff in between and enjoying it, like enjoying this ride that we have and that we call life. Totally. I mean, we are experts at idealizing and we refer to that a lot as comparison and imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. Um, We reference it particularly with regards to Instagram. And the reality is, you know, we've been doing this way before Instagram. We spend so much of our time idealizing what it's going to mean to be a business owner, what it's going to mean to be a a parent, what it's going to mean to fall in love, to get married, to be in a partnership. Mm. And then we get to those experiences and we go, oh my God, it's not like anyone else told me it would be. (laughs) Well, actually that's not true. Everybody else was telling you, you were just projecting and pulling from all of these narratives and creating this sort of ideal situation or experience you thought you were going to have instead of being grounded in the reality of what was going to require from you, what you were going to have to do, how you were going to have to show up and spending your time thinking about and talking about your values and the experience it is that you want to have versus looking at others and weaving in the lives and stories of others into your own personal narrative. So I, I think that this is something that every human being on earth is very, very much guilty of. And, you know, when we look at the last, gosh, five years, we now know with certainty there is a global mental health crisis. Yes. And all the statistics and evidence point towards this. There's all time levels of stress, depression and anxiety, even though we have the least amount of famine and death and disease than we've ever had in the history of humankind. Oh, I've never even had those two put in the same category of comparison. That's 
incredible to hear. It's actually bizarre and it shows you so, so much bizarre. about how much our mindset sucks. Jeez. <laughs> because we've we've now placed so much value on incredibly external and surface experiences. We literally have the least death, disease, famine than ever on this earth, this, this rock. And yet we have the most anxiety, stress, and depression. We are doing it to ourselves and we are really, really only going to make these changes by taking ownership of the decisions we make, of the lives that we lead, of where we put our energy, where we put our time, and how we invest in ourselves and each other each and every day. And what that's meant is over the last couple of years, we're seeing a huge shift into what I refer to as proactive well-being. And that's really where Sphere- I was going to say, this is, must be where Sphere has come from. So you and I had a very good conversation about, you kind of explained Sphere to me and I walked away being like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is what you need. We've taken these terms like coaching and like all this stuff and it feels like everyone's just like, they can suddenly just decide they're a coach and like you feel like they're a professional and everything. And I'm like, it's just, it's it's muddied this word and this experience of what it actually is. So explain sphere because I'm so stoked on it. Like I, I get, after having that conversation with you, because I honestly didn't know what it was going to be and I didn't know how I was going to feel about it, but you explained it in such a way that made me understand that this is going to be so pivotal, I think, to our society. So I and I think it's a great, great idea. So Thank explain you. Sphere and yeah, all of it. <laughs> I'm like lost for so words. So the origin of Sphere is really in this idea that I started to see all the same pain points in coaching as I did in beauty and blow dries. And that was, you know, pricing was the wild, wild west, was super hard for people to find a coach. It took weeks and weeks of reconnaissance. And I was just going, wow, if it took this long, you know, for somebody to find a great gym and a personal trainer, nobody would be fit. You know, how can we expedite this? And, and the third piece was that the marketplace was emergent. And so coaching formally was founded in leadership and executive coaching about mm -hmm. 40 years ago. Yep. And every decade it's morphed and, and expanded into more and more verticals, communications coaching, relationship coaching, life coaching. Mm -hmm. The fastest growing sector of coaching is, is life coaching, not surprisingly. And what Sphere really aims to serve is the idea of taking this thing, coaching, that we know has been statistically proven to support emotional and social intelligence, something we need every yes. day yes. <laughs> to have the experience we want to have in the world, in our relationships, in work, in our lives, and to make it accessible. So mm. our mission is to democratize coaching, which means inviting people into this experience and service that has been primarily prior left to people who make over $100,000 a year or yeah. executives and leaders yeah. in companies and make it for the person who uh, is thinking about bringing those resources into their lives to hold themselves accountable to how they want to live and who it is that they think that they are. And so we're kind of like the class pass of personal growth. We I have, love that. <laughs> That's so well said. We have an ecosystem of about 160 coaches across North America from all different training background verticals. We vet them and onboard them primarily by referral. So already published guides that keeps yep. the level super high. We require them to have deep pre-existing practices, depth of experience, certification, training, you know. So they can't just say, I'm a coach. No, it's not like Instagram. It's not like Instagram. <laughs> you can't just change your headline and yeah, start know, saying right? this is what you are. And that's because we know that whilst there are incredible coaches 
who have, you know, coached at some of the most impactful companies in the world who don't have formal certification yep. and training. Of course. The reality is the certs like NLI, Ericsson, Royal Rose, CTI, I could go on. There are so many extraordinary coaching training programs. And what they offer is a very powerful foundation and framework for how you can actually help people achieve mindset shifts, okay. how you can help people achieve flipping the conversation for themselves. And really the power of, of coaching is in the questions. And so when we look at, you know, the future of this space, I get really stoked because we think about how long it does take for things to change. Mm -hmm. I mean, Lululemon, while we see it everywhere now, it started a long time ago. And I think Lululemon is solely responsible for the popularity of yoga. Honestly, I, it's probably the first time I ever heard of yoga was because yeah, of the pants. No, that's, and that's exactly what I mean. <laughs> they used to be so cool that I used to see like the bougie moms at the mall and they'd be wearing their Lululemons <laughs> the and like stiletto heels. Like yes. they made yoga pants. Like yes. it was like a cultural thing. It was like a status to have those yoga pants on. And then yeah, everybody wanted to do it. said yoga. something about how you want to live, mm -hmm. about who you are. Yeah. And then, you know, we had a couple of great uh, technology experiences and apps like Headspace and Calm yep. that took, you know, meditation off of the mountains and gave it to every mom, man, person in an urban dwelling who had 10 minutes to spare. Yes. And what that did was completely change the way that we live, the way that we talk and brought this idea of well-being and wellness into popular culture. And the next evolution of being in your body and reflecting and listening to your thoughts is wanting to have qualified conversations about yes. how to experience change. This is one of the reasons why I love the podcast so much and why, why I've loved starting listening to other podcasts and stuff as well, because even though I mostly listen to crime ones. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Do you listen to, what is it called? Crime podcast. Like I listen to all the crime podcasts. What is like that? All of that? There's like a very famous one in the US. There's like... Serial. Right. And then there's like To Live and Die in LA. There's Up and Vanish. There's S Town. Like I've I've listened to them all. The one thing that I love about it is it it's the same kind of thing like reading where you can walk away with a new awareness and a new knowledge. And it is that like emotional and mental like maturity and advancements. And so I love that you're kind of talking about life coaching being in a way of like, I don't even know what word I'm trying to say here. Infancy. Yeah. It's like beginning. It's, it's at the beginning, but like, can you explain the difference between like life coaching and therapy? Cause that's the one mm -hmm. thing I got really, cause I found I got a lot of emotional maturity from therapy mm -hmm. and from the tools and the tricks that I was given. I've never tried life coaching. Mm -hmm. So for me to give context to this is irrelevant because I don't have any life coaching. I have a couple friends, like I have one friend who's a life coach and she she said like one sentence to me about something and it's changed the way I've thought about life forevermore. And I'm like, it's intelligent conversations. And like you said, like those really good questions. And she had basically, she was another speaker at Atelier, but she had asked the question of like, what's in your toolbox? Like when things are wrong or when, th when you're going through life, like who's in your toolbox and what are your tools? And like learning to put the, like understanding what your tools are to get through things. And I was like, it's always just made me consider help and consider things like therapy is like in my toolbox. Mm -hmm. Certain people are in my toolbox. Certain books are in my toolbox. Mm -hmm. Certain songs are in my toolbox. Like the, mm -hmm. these are all my yeah. tools. Or the way you eat or- Yeah, the way I eat, the way, the, certain ways I exercise. Some ways I exercise don't make me feel good at the end of it. And other ones really do. Those things are in my toolbox. Mm -hmm. But taking like this one sentence and this one minor experience that I had with a life coach has caused me to feel like 
yes, I understand why this is really profound and really important, Mm -hmm. but I would love for you to kind of explain for those listening the difference between life coaching Mm -hmm. and therapy because they are different. Right. So when I think about personal and professional coaching and how this space is really emerging as being different to Mm -hmm. therapy or counseling, number one, as it relates to therapy and psychotherapy, when you're going to coaching, you're not going for a diagnosis, right? You're not going for a prescription. You're not going to dig into your past and pathology in relation to your past. Okay. That is all therapy. Yes. That's what therapy is excellent at. It's what it's for. Coaching, whether it's about, you know, your personal life, your relationships or communication and leadership is about the present and about the future. It's about mm. how you're showing up. It's about holding yourself to task and calling yourself to to task on a continuum. You'll find that when you crack open the books of the entrepreneurs who you idolize or admire, I guarantee you they will all have coaches. In That's one thing I've learned. Multiple coaches for yes. different things. I think we all think that whoever's like ahead of us must just have it all together. And the further along I go and the more people that start asking me for advice, I'm always constantly going like, I still need help. I still have other people that I'm going to and I'm reaching for. And it is like, it's, it is this pyramid. It is this ladder in which we are continually helping each other and making sure that we're activating ourselves in the right way. Nobody's got it figured out. Hey, nobody. No. And, and it's, even life coaches have life coaches. The best ones do. It's actually one of our vetting factors. Really? I we, love we, that. You require that we scale coaches who have coaches. Good. So otherwise Good. you're not in the work. So yeah, I mean, I think what's so exciting about the future of self-improvement is that our response to the mental health crisis is now going to everyday people in our everyday lives and having us consider what are the things that I can do and bring in to my rhythm and routine that will aid and help me or expedite me in having the experience I want to have in my life, work and relationships. Yes. And, you know, coaching is one of those things. And so, yeah, we're really, really stoked about what we're doing at Sphere. How can people uh, find it? It's an app, right? It is an app. That was very important. You know, as you've heard, I was in the beauty space before this. I was not a futurist or technologist by (laughs) any means. I was the girl that would be like, I don't know how to press this button or this is not doing this. Like I can't get this to download. Um, But it was really important that this was a business that went mobile first because that's where we spend so much of our time. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. It's always with us. And when I thought about bringing coaching into people's lives and making this as widely accessible as possible, it had to be in our phones. I so love that because yeah, I've looked at the stats too. We know people are taking in content all the time that way. And, And it does make it a lot more accessible, right? Like I've learned recently, even like with my, I have like presets for photos and stuff like that. How many people don't have computers? And you're just like, oh gosh, like how dare we assume that everybody has this where almost everybody has a phone, even like all different areas. And it's almost a requirement now, right? Like it's, it's something that I think almost everybody has access to. So to be able to have access, and we've even talked about some of the different price points in terms of what Sphere offers. Mm. It's, it's groundbreaking that you've made it. And that's one of the things I said that I was really proud of you for, that you made this price point accessible for so many people that normally wouldn't be able to afford 
what a luxury of life coaching, right? Right. And that's, and that's how things stay exclusive. Price mm-hmm. is one of the things that keeps things exclusive and it's been largely unnecessary. Yeah. The thing that was really important in Sphere was to build a business model that truly allowed us to reimagine the way that this type of work was accessed and delivered. So in Sphere, you can find memberships ranging from $90 a month up to $288 a month, 90 being our sort of most accessible. That is groundbreaking for coaching. Or when you think about- I was going to say like, even I know how much like therapy costs, it's like 130 an hour. What is like typical, (laughs) what, what is typical for a life coach hourly rate, just to kind of like give that expansive, like context to somebody who's never had a life coach before. Like therapy, it really depends on the city that you're in. So it's more expensive if you live in, you know, highly populated, densely populated dwellings. Many life coaches in New York are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars an hour. Generally, if you go to find a great, deeply experienced coach, they're going to cost anywhere between 200 to 300 an hour or more as a starter. Most of those coaches, because they're in their own little professional practices, they're not highly scalable. They're doing all the maintenance, management, administration. Yeah. Not saying that they're not worth that. It's more about the sense of like, those are the those yeah, are the they things. need to, they, to they need to take care of those things. Pricing. Absolutely. And so what that's changed for them for Sphere is we handle all of that. Mm. The average coach is spending 40% of their time each week on all of those other pieces, which have to be considered and factored into pricing. And so with Sphere, we're able to challenge that and make the pricing so much more accessible because we give coaches their time back and give them access to more sessions. Oh, that's incredible. So that's how we were actually able to rethink the price of coaching was actually by the time that we were giving back to coaches, therefore being able to challenge and change the price of coaching, both for the consumer and then really grow the space for the coaches themselves, give them more work and have them spending time in what it is that they love and do best, which is helping people live transformational lives. Coming back to that same economy thing, if we're all just doing what we're good at and delegating the rest. And so you guys are offering that. I could talk to you like literally all day. But we both know that it's Clooney's turn. So it is Clooney's turn. You have to go on stage soon. Clooney, give us like some. Okay, we're going to, I'm going to interview you. Okay, you got your microphone. How old are you, Clooney? Three. You are three. What is your favorite Disney movie? What's your favorite princess movie? Ooh, there you go. Who's your favorite princess? Mama. Oh oh my gosh. People, this was not planned. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, that was so sweet. (laughs) Clooney, thank you so much. You were such a sweet girl today. I'm so glad you came here in your little blazer, ready to go. Ready to rock. You're so ready, ready to for rock. The girl party. Should we go downstairs? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Let's okay. Get it. Devin, tell everyone where they can find you, where they can dive into sphere and everything that you're doing. <laughs> okay, Clooney. I'm at Dev's Development on Instagram. You can find Sphere at sphereishere.com or download us Sphere Guidance on iOS or Android. Amazing. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I'm really excited for you. You're getting on stage like any minute. I'm so stoked for you. Thanks again. And for everyone listening, please, I'm going to have everything linked in the show notes, but take a moment and get to know Devin and get to know everything that she's doing with Sphere. I could not be more proud and more excited for this like new friend who's really truly taken life experience and, and applying it in a way that's going to help so, so many others. So thank you so much. And we'll see you next week. 
Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at the Papaya Podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then.